all the church says, Amen. Amen. Well, today in this lesson, we're going to hear Paul continue that forceful and passionate defense of the gospel. Since Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel, he's going to continue making his case to everyone who's willing to listen that the gospel is good news for everyone who believes. That it's good news for Jews and it's good news for Gentiles. That's good news for those who are circumcised and good news for those who are uncircumcised. It's good news for everyone who believes. And today we're going to hear Paul really focus on breaking down any lingering doubts that there might be about the Gentiles' place in God's family. He's going to make the case that believing Jews and believing Gentiles are exactly the same. That they're exactly equal in God's eyes. And he isn't going to do this by beating the Jews down to the level of the Gentiles. No, he's going to lift the Gentiles up. He's going to demonstrate their equality and lift them up. If you'll remember a couple of weeks ago as we were studying, we heard Paul make the controversial claim that nothing anyone does, there's nothing that anyone can do that will justify them before God. And why was this claim controversial? Well, this claim was controversial because it flew in the face of what most religious Jews believed then. And it also flies in the face of what many religious people believe now. It's true, isn't it? It's true that deep down, many religious people really believe that they can be good enough. That they can be moral enough. Or maybe that they can be superior enough. Or at least that they can try hard enough. Try hard enough so that they will earn their way into heaven. So when Paul boldly proclaims that justification only comes through faith. It only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And then when he follows that claim to its logical conclusion by saying that justification by faith removes any grounds for boasting, he knows he's going to get some pushback. He knows he's going to meet some resistance. He's going to get some resistance from religious people. And Paul knows that that pushback is going to be especially strong from the Jewish believers. It's going to be especially strong from them because many of them really did feel that they had a special place in God's kingdom. They really felt like they did have something to boast about. They were certain they were special. And they were certain that their family connections would justify them. That their family connections made them special. I mean, after all, they're the children of Father Abraham. And they're the children of King David. And they were certain that those relationships with those two heroes of of the Jewish kingdom, they were sure that those relationships made them special. And they were confident that those relationships made them superior. And they were sure that those relationships gave them something to boast about. We are children of Abraham. We are children of David. So we have to be justified in God's sight. See, the Jews had these two perfect witnesses. 
They could call on them to refute Paul's claim that the only path to justification is through faith in Jesus Christ. See, they could call Father Abraham to the stand. See, they believed that Abraham was perfect. They believed and taught that Abraham was absolutely the perfect man. In fact, they believed that Abraham was so perfect that he was able to keep and perform the entire law before the law was ever even given. Because he lived hundreds of years before the law was given. They believed that Abraham was the perfect witness to call to refute Paul because they felt that he had justified himself. He had justified himself before God with his works. So Abraham was the perfect witness. He was the perfect example to call. He was the perfect example to follow in order for the Jews to justify themselves. And if that wasn't enough, they could also call King David to the stand. David, the king of all kings. David, the king after God's own heart. David, who was a king who was mighty in battle and also mighty in worship. David, the king who expanded the borders and established Jerusalem with the ark of God's presence right in the middle. The Jews were confident. The Jews were confident they had something to boast about. They were confident in their righteousness because of Father Abraham, because of King David, because they had Abraham and David on their side. So imagine their surprise when Paul, in this letter, summons those same two Jewish heroes to the stands as his witnesses. As Paul summons Abraham and David to the stand to make his case that justification only comes through faith. As Paul makes his case that Father Abraham and King David aren't just Jewish heroes. No, they are faith heroes. And they're faith heroes for Jews and for Gentiles alike. Imagine the Jews' shock when Paul describes Father Abraham as the father of the uncircumcised Gentiles as well as the circumcised Jews. As he describes Abraham as the father of everyone who believes. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul writes, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? In fact, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. His faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. 
David wrote this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the uncircumcised or for the circumcised also? Well, we've been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. After he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he's also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Do you see what Paul is doing here? He's putting father Abraham up on the witness stand. And he's inviting everyone to take a look at this righteous man. But once he puts him on the stand, instead of rehearsing the familiar stories of how Abraham demonstrated and earned his righteousness, instead of talking about how Abraham packed up the tents and headed to a foreign land, instead of talking about how Abraham gave Lot the first choice of where to settle, instead of talking about how Abraham circumcised himself and all the males of his camp, instead of talking about how Abraham took his son by the hand and walked up the the mountain to sacrifice him to God, instead of recounting those familiar stories, Paul simply says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul's point is that God made Abraham righteous. That God gifted Abraham righteousness. Abraham didn't earn it. He didn't receive righteousness because he was perfect. He didn't receive righteousness because he was circumcised. He didn't receive righteousness because he kept the law perfectly before it had even been given. No, God made Abraham righteous. He made him righteous because he believed God. And we should pay very careful attention to that. Paul says Abraham was made righteous because he believed God. Not because he believed there was a God. Not even because he believed in God, but because he believed God. He believed God would keep his promises. He believed God was faithful to his word because he believed God would do what he said he would do even when that thing seemed impossible. And Paul says, God made him righteous even before he was circumcised, even before the law was given. Well, why is that important? Well, it's important because Paul is dropping a bombshell right on the Jews. You see, if Abraham was made righteous before he was circumcised and before the law was given, what does that mean about Abraham? 
What does that mean about Abraham? Well, it means that Abraham was made righteous through faith and faith alone while he was still a Gentile. Which Paul is quick to point out means that Abraham is the father of faithful Gentiles and the father of faithful Jews. It means that Abraham is the father of all, whether circumcised or uncircumcised. He's the father of all who walk in his footsteps of faith. And if that wasn't enough, almost as an aside, Paul decides to bring King David into the conversation to provide more proof as to why it's faith and faith alone that justifies So Paul quotes those achingly beautiful words from Psalm 32 where David, who has been humbled and broken, David who is contrite, David who has been brought to his knees by the reality of his sin with Bathsheba, where David wrote these words, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. What did David learn? What did David know? Well, David also believed. David had faith that God would gift him righteousness. Not because of what he had done, but in spite of what he had done. David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. And David was made right by God and before God when he confessed his guilt. And when in faith he cast himself upon the mercy of God, David believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God would be faithful to his promises even when it seemed that forgiveness would be, maybe even should be, impossible. So Paul couldn't make his message any clearer. His message that faith alone justifies. His message that it's faith alone that brings God's gift of righteousness. And see, Paul has clearly said it was faith alone that justified Father Abraham. And it was faith alone that justified King David. And it's faith alone that justifies the Jews. And it's faith alone that justifies the Gentiles. It's faith alone that justifies the circumcised. It's faith alone that justifies the uncircumcised. It's faith alone for you. And it's faith alone for me. Now, Paul couldn't be any clearer. But as is typical with Paul, he isn't quite through with this subject. 
And just for good measure, he draws our attention back to Father Abraham. And he does this to make sure that we understand that Abraham is the father of all who walk in his faithful steps. And he does this to make sure that we see what kind of faith Abraham actually had. And he does that so that we can know what kind of faith we should have. So Paul continues in verse 16. He says, therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and called things that are not as though they were. As you see, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith... He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also to us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Father Abraham. You see, the Jews believed they should walk in the steps of Abraham because he was perfect. But when you think about it, that's really bad news. It's bad news because none of them were perfect. It's bad news because if perfection is required in order for us to be righteous and justified, we might as well just give up now. I mean, after all, what's the point in trying to do the impossible But Paul comes with good news. You see, Abraham wasn't perfect, but he was perfected by God. Abraham wasn't righteous, but he was made righteous by God. Abraham wasn't just, but he was justified by God. Not by keeping the law. Not by being circumcised. Not by being perfect but by believing the believable one, by putting his faith in the faithful one, by trusting the power of the all-powerful one. And Paul's good news to us is that we have been given the gift of being able to actually walk in the steps of our father Abraham. See, we too are not perfect, but we can be perfected. We aren't righteous, but we can be made righteous. We aren't just, but we can be justified. And that can happen when we believe in the believable one. 
when we have faith in the faithful one, when we trust in the power of the all-powerful one, when we walk in the steps of Abraham. Well, what did those steps look like? What did Abraham's faith really look like? How do we know that he had this justifying faith? Well, one of the things that Paul tells us about Abraham's faith is that it was very focused. It was very narrow. The object of Abraham's faith was God, and it was God alone. See, Abraham believed God was able. He believed God was able to do and would do what he promised. You see, Paul holds Abraham's faith up as being exemplary, as being worthy of praise, as being worthy of imitation, as the gold standard of faith. Not because of the power of Abraham's faith, no, but because Abraham fully believed in the power of God. Abraham's faith is commendable not because of the strength of his faith, but because his hope and his trust rested completely on the strength of his God. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I have to ask, does that sound like your faith? See, too often my faith sounds something more like this. If they were writing my story, it might go like this. Walter believed in God, and he tried his best to be a good Christian, and he hoped that that would be good enough to make the cut and get into heaven. But that's not like Abraham's faith. That kind of faith isn't faith in God alone. That faith is hedging my bets. That's putting faith in my ability to do at least enough to get God to do something for me, to let me into heaven. But that's not what Abraham did. Abraham believed God could and would keep his promises, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So I ask, do we believe that God not only can, but will keep his promises to us? And before you think that Abraham had it easier than what we have, it's not like Abraham's faith didn't have obstacles. In fact, the promise that God made to Abraham was biologically impossible. 100-year-old men and 90-year-old women simply don't make babies. It's impossible. And even if they could make babies, what are the odds that that baby would lead to descendants that were more numerous than the stars in the sky? And that that baby would be the beginning of the establishment of great nations. Oh, there were obstacles. But Abraham believed God. Even though God's promise was so great, it was hard, if not impossible, to believe And it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe that God can and will keep his promises to you? Even though that promise is hard to the point of being almost impossible to believe. Do you believe God? 
Well, Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith led to great things. It led to God's name being glorified. Abraham glorified God. And God was glorified by those who saw God at work in Abraham and God at work through Abraham. In fact, we're here this morning glorifying God's name because of what he did through Abraham. So I ask this question. Do you believe, do you really believe that God's name will be glorified through his work in you? And related to that, do you glorify God because of what God is doing through you and in you? And do you believe that God wants nothing more than to give you his righteousness? He wants nothing more than to give you the gift of his righteousness. You see, Abraham believed God's promise of a son even though his body was as good as dead. And it was credited to him as righteousness. So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that the God who kept his promise by giving a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman a son, do we believe that that God will keep his promises to us? And I have to ask, do we believe that the God who raised Jesus from the dead Raised Jesus from the dead will make us alive in him, even though we are dead in our sins, do we really believe? And I must ask you, do you believe that Jesus not only died for your sins, but was also raised to life for the glory of God and to give you the justification that there's no way you could ever give yourselves? Do you believe Is your faith like Father Abraham's? See, Father Abraham responded in faith to God's promise of a son, and it was credited to him as righteousness. The question for us is, are we going to respond in faith to what God has promised us and what he has already achieved through his only son? Will you trust in him And will you trust in him alone? Because it will be credited to you as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, it is amazing that we're able to call you our father. And Father, it's remarkable that we're able to call Abraham our father. And Father, we thank you for only asking us to believe with all of our hearts and minds and souls to believe in you. To believe that you not only are able to do what you promise, but that you will do what you promise. Father, give us the faith of Abraham. And Father, may your name be glorified in what you do through us, And may others see you at work in us and glorify your name. Father, may your name be glorified. It's in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, we pray. Amen.
The words it was credited to him were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. All glory to God who keeps his promises to those who believe in him. No wonder Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. Let's end by standing and singing and praising our faithful God. Let's stand. Say